Pedagogy the Podcast with Tracy Browder, where together we will disrupt educational normalcy. One of my favorite days of the week, it is Teach Better Tuesday, and we have with us a first timer on Teach Better Tuesday. We have Rebecca Fall with us. Good morning, Rebecca. How are you? Good morning, Tracy. I am honored to be here uh, with you and on this podcast. It's, it's a pleasure. So thank you for having me. Well, I am excited too. So a quick little background about Rebecca. She is the training and development specialist for the Teach Better team, and she teaches fifth grade math and science. And I'm excited about that because Rebecca and I today get to talk to you about remote learning with fifth and, uh, I'll keep wanting to say fifth and sixth graders, but (laughs) remote learning with fifth graders in the area of math and science. And so hopefully listeners, you'll be able to glean some success some ahas, and and just some ideas to help you in the classroom as we return because we don't know what it'll look like yet. And so, Rebecca, let's start with that. How are you feeling about the unknown? I am like everybody else. I'm definitely a little anxious about it. However, I literally just finished my school year yesterday. So while a lot of people I know have been out for a while, I'm really just trying to focus short term on taking some time for me for at least a week or two uh, before I before I kind of delve into, okay, what can I do to start preparing for the fall? But, you know, I mean, as teachers, we are planners by nature. So not knowing uh, what is is coming in the fall is, is definitely intimidating. We're, we're, I'm in New Jersey. We're supposed to get some guidance from the governor hopefully this week about reopening schools. And I know that there's a lot of states that are ahead of us. So, you know, and are starting before us, obviously. So I'm hoping to, you know, kind of take their lead and see what see what they're doing to a certain extent. Okay. And give us some context too. What has COVID-19 looked like in Jersey? Well, this is definitely a hot spot, uh, you know, in, in terms of number of cases and and death rates unfortunately we we fortunately have been slowing down significantly but we we still you know kind of up there uh, in in terms of of states with the most like i said cases and unfortunately deaths from it we are just starting to reopen things here uh this week you know barber shops and nail salons and those kinds of things retail stores have just started opening up so that's been, I think that's just kind of lifted everybody's spirits, to be honest with you. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, you know, it's like anything else. It's, it's, it's crazy. And I'm sure you feel this way too, because it feels like we've been doing this forever. <laughs> and <laughs> yes. It really has not been that long in the grand scheme of things. Um, Absolutely. But, you know, everybody's been trying to, we have outdoor dining now, uh, which is open. So it really does force you, which I think this whole, process really has forced you to really appreciate the simple things. And, uh, mm-hmm. you know, and that's, that's certainly where m- myself and my family are at. Got it. Um, very similar here where we're a little bit ahead of the game. We've, we've opened up um, quite a bit. Our, our numbers are definitely on the increase. Um, and, and I think some of that too has to do with um, a lot of the protesting happening in America. Um, but I, I'm not a numbers person or a scientist, so I can't really go there, but it just seems logical that, you know, large crowds equal, um, equal some, some sharing. Yes. 
So um, anyway, now let's circle back now that you've given us some context. When when you reflect back, and first of all, I'm glad that, um, and I say glad, but it, it's being thrown into crisis remote learning, figuring it out, and then you've got it figured out, and then there's kind of the exhaustion piece, mental exhaustion, um, and, and so you're finally at a point where you can go, whew, for a minute. Um, <laughs> so as you reflect back, what were some of the challenges you faced with, did you face challenges, um, do you think, in particular to uh, being fifth grade versus maybe high school or primary? Do you see any particular challenges? I think that it's interesting because I, my, my own children are in, well, just finished second grade, fourth grade, and seventh grade. So I also had that parent perspective, which I honestly think was, and I know you have children as well. So when, when you're a parent and you're a teacher and you see both sides of it, you have automatically developed a certain empathy for parents mm-hmm. going through this as well. Um, and it was interesting to talk to colleagues, friends, just following other educators on Twitter and Instagram to see what their struggles were. And they were dealing with other grade levels. So, and even my supervisors, talking to my supervisors, my math supervisor in, in our district um, who you know, was saying that, that getting high schoolers to engage was definitely a challenge. I was very fortunate. Uh, was it without challenges? No, of course not. <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. I think that I jumped into it. And in hindsight, to be honest with you, it was probably better that none of us were really prepared. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> because, you know, talk about anxiety. I think if we had any more time to really try to, like, think about this and plan for it, you know, the best laid plans don't always work out. So it might have been mm-hmm. better to be kind of like baptism by fire. Like, you just have to jump mm-hmm. in there and get it mm-hmm. done. Um, and so I was very fortunate that I was able to connect. I have two different groups of fifth graders. And I put myself down as a fifth and sixth grade teacher because I've done both grade levels. And for my whole career, that's all I've taught is fifth or sixth grade math and science. And actually for three years, I had a multi-grade class where I had half fifth and half sixth uh, graders. So that was interesting too. But this year I was just all fifth grade, but I had two different groups. You know, I think I had this perception because initially we were not allowed in my district to communicate via video with the students. Like when this was all mm-hmm. unfolding, I know that there was a lot of um, legal concerns and things of that nature. And that was probably my biggest concern was how am I going to teach these kids if I can't actually you know, connect with them? And then within that week, I will say that that changed and we were able to do Zoom and we were able to do Google Meets. And I was ecstatic about it. And I think I assumed that all of my students would be ecstatic about it, Um, but that in fact was not the case. So I did have uh, a great level of participation and engagement really up through the end. I mean, the kids, we had a virtual award ceremony yesterday and I really said, if I could give an award to all of the students who really showed such commitment and dedication to online learning, I would give you all an award because I thought that the way they hung in there, and that looked different for a lot of kids, um, Mm -hmm. but they they really were uh, dedicated. But 
it was definitely, you know, I took it in the beginning, I realized I couldn't take it personally that students did not want to come on my Zoom classes or they didn't want to come on Google Meets. But as long as I was hearing from them, so they might send me an email or they might send me a message on Google Chat, um, then I knew that they were okay. And that was my biggest concern, especially initially, was just to make sure that they were okay. Um, Mm -hmm. So, but but like I said, as a a teacher, you, you kind of want to get them all on, you know, online and connecting with you virtually as best you can. And that wasn't, that was definitely a challenge because that wasn't happening as, as much as I wanted it to with all the kids. You know, it's funny you mentioned that because it makes me think of something like, well, in the lovely state of Texas, our governor has said um, last week that we would return to school as normal, no masks, you know, masks aren't required, testing's not required, temperature checks aren't required. So that's going to be very interesting. But um, for other states, I'm sure they may be returning with precautions. Um, and, And so whether those precautions are you're, you're back in school or it's a, a blended learning model. Um, you, you said something that kind of sparked my attention. And that is, especially like I teach kindergarten. So the primary kids, they're eager and happy and, and, and hopping on was never an issue unless it was a device, you know, some, some type of equity issue. Um, but I, I love what you said about, you know, if, if they didn't get on video, you'd hear from them via chat. And if we go back and we're in like a blended or some people are still 100 percent remote learning, just like in school, when we when we um, we give credence to the fact that every student learns differently, how do we accommodate for that? in the remote learning environment that, you know, video may make some kids extremely uncomfortable, but if if we're in that type of learning environment for a while, would you see that as an expectation or would you, would you meet with those kids in a different capacity? What do you think? It's interesting because I did know some teachers who were insistent when the students got on, let's say, a Zoom call, that they have their audio and video on. And I just subscribed to a different philosophy. You know, and, and the concern was that they might be playing video games or they might mm-hmm. be doing something else and they're not listening. But at least they took the time to actually connect, in my opinion. Um, right. Whether or not they are completely absorbing, let's face facts, in the classroom, I don't know if they're completely absorbing. In the mm-hmm. classroom, you know, we're very fortunate in my district, we're one-to-one Chromebooks, and the kids had that going home. But they were trying to play games online in class while I was with them. <laughs> you know, not all the time, but so, you know, that's, that's just a function of, of kids and how kids are. You know, I mean, let's face it, you could be in, in, a, in an adult PD session and how many uh, teachers are on their phones. <laughs> They're mm-hmm. not necessarily paying mm-hmm. attention to what's going on. So, you know, I, I didn't really, that was not, you know, for, for a lot of teachers, this was, a, there was a lot of control issues, I feel like. They needed to feel mm-hmm. in control. And I pretty much resigned myself pretty early on, realizing there was a lot of things that were out of my control. And mm-hmm. that, was, that was pretty apparent early on. For instance, you know, when, when you're, some, I, I was talking to uh, one of my friends who wasn't in education, 
And she said, well, what's, what's one of the biggest challenges? I said, well, one of the biggest challenges was when you're in the classroom and you're doing an activity and a student starts to wander off, whether it's, you know, you can see them daydreaming or they start talking to a neighbor. I said, you can easily bring them back. Mm -hmm. I'm not physically with them. So I can't, you know, I don't have control over that. Um, but like I said, there was so much in the situation that was out of our control. And I think that, that in general, being empathetic to that and also like letting go of some of those control issues is really going to benefit everybody moving forward. And the sooner you resign yourself to, yeah, this, this may be, this may very well be where we have to shut down for another couple of months uh, next year, you know, you kind of have to reevaluate um, possibly how how you did things and to your point what worked and what didn't work these last three months absolutely and i love what you said about you, you sound like you have a mindset similar to mine is to you know because i i always think in my classroom truly clearly everybody has certain ways that they like things. But I always tell myself, my class is not a classroom full of mini Tracy's. And I don't want to teach a lot of mini Tracy's because we'd all be running around the room crazy. <laughs> so, so to be able to allow students to give them some space, give them some trust even. I feel like kids rise up and, and perform a lot better when we show that we trust them. And, and for instance, I, I remember, you know, one of my kiddos, um, his, every time we got on his, his background, his environment, it, it was a house full of big family. And so it was always extremely loud. And so we don't know the reasons necessarily always why a student might have video muted or sound muted. And we, you know, we, we can't assume um, we, we just can't make those assumptions and, and we push kids, we can push kids away when we require them to do something that for reasons unknown to us, they may not be comfortable with. And we've got to, we've got to realize that and stop, stop the control issues, you know? Yeah. And, and you know what, I'll be honest, I'll be the first to admit, I wasn't always that way. You know, I, mm-hmm. I, I think I had an awakening probably two or three years ago when I just decided because I was so unhappy going to work every day. And, and I, I really took like a summer to really reflect and say, what is it that's driving this? And so I changed a lot of my own ways and really worked on developing relationships with students, which has made a ton of difference and certainly made a ton of difference in this environment that we just found ourselves in. Um, and now I think people are also realizing it's really not even just about developing relationships with the students. It's about developing relationships with the families when you can, because to have their support and buy-in was also huge in this whole scenario. Oh, you are so right, sister. I mean, just, <laughs> you know, it, it's not just about teaching the child because this child has a family. This child has people he or she cares about. And if we don't show that we care about the child and the family, then again, they're going to be somewhat disconnected. Um, so, so I feel like we can unintentionally create disconnects um, simply by our approach to to relationships with students. So it's so interesting that you said that. And 
you know, my, my heart breaks for those educators who haven't had that epiphany or that transformation that you were just talking about. Because if you don't have those relationships, then this type of learning environment is going to be a challenge times uh, 10, 100. I, I can't even imagine. Well, you um, constantly feel like you're, you, you constantly would feel like you're in a battle. You know, I, mm-hmm. I had a couple of students who had you know, different home situations that I was aware of. I mean, the only, I've said this to several people, the only good thing about having this pandemic happened when it did was that we had already known the students so well at that point in the school year. And so you knew what they were capable of. You knew what they weren't capable of. You knew their, their home situations for the most part. And so, you know, I had a couple of students who did not have the best support at home and would kind of, fall off the map for maybe a week, but then the following week, you know, I, you know, and I would reach out and then I would get, like I said, a a random like chat message. Hey, Mrs. Mm -hmm. Thal, I just wanted you to know I finished these two assignments. So maybe there was four assignments, right? But they finished two, they were letting me know. And rather than me take the approach of chastising them, like, well, these are late and, you know, how come, and you still have two more to do. I really took the approach of, that's awesome. Thanks so much. I'm very proud of you for getting those done. And absolutely, that in and of itself made such a difference because then the next week, the same student came back and maybe they did one more. So they were still connecting, they were still engaging, and they were still doing something. Um, and like I said, now, now I'm on the, on the flip side. I have my own, my own children. And partic- this was particularly hard for my second grader. Um, because she had never really used Google Classroom before, right? Most second graders hadn't, um, mm-hmm. you know, and so I was spending a lot of time helping her, but, you know, and I was, I was on top of her making sure, but I also knew what I was doing. I was an educator, so I knew how all of this worked. Uh, I really feel for, for families that, you know, had never experienced, I mean, you and I didn't, were, were not raised with Google Classroom, so you know, I really, again, you have to be empathetic. So like I said, I, not all those, not everybody is getting that support at home. And you have to understand that and look at it through different lenses. Absolutely. We cannot just, we can't just look at, look through our lenses. We can't make assumptions. We can't, we can't have the same expectations we did in the classroom uh, for a variety of reasons. Some we already mentioned, but you know, when we talk about access to devices, um, you know, some people don't have a one-on-one, a one-to-one device situation at home. And like you just said, we, we have our own children. So if, if I only have one device in my house and I'm working, I'm sorry, I've got to use it and you've got to wait. And then everybody gets behind. So we, we have to, we have to be understanding. We have to have grace and patience and, Oh, so much grace. And uh, I I witnessed my son, um, he's in high school and there was, we we have Wi-Fi, serious, serious Wi-Fi problems to the point that none of us could almost work sometimes. And um, it kind of seemed like the classes just went on and on and on and he was drowning, drowning, drowning. Finally, I, I I was explaining to the teachers, but I had to say, look, 
we need some grace here. Um, And so they, they were very supportive and very patient, but I feel like it did take me kind of saying, you know, because I can imagine teaching high school, you're dealing with so many kids and and there's a pace you have to keep up with. Um, But, but I feel like once I kind of raised the white flag a little bit, Oh my goodness, they were so supportive and so patient and switched from um, sending things um, through Canvas or or Google Classroom to, okay, we're going to email this and let me know if you got it. And just really, and then even phone calls and and talking him through some things. So I know as a parent with the parent hat on, I genuinely appreciated that. So I think as teachers, we need to have a lot of grace. so Rebecca, I know um, you have another appointment. So um, I want us to wrap up and I definitely want us to have more time together because our next chat, I, I envision us talking about, we talked about the challenges and we could keep talking about the challenges. Um, <laughs> but but I, I really want to dig more into how, the how, how did you rock it? How did the kids rock it? I mean, math and science, remote learning, fifth graders, each one of those characteristics I want to hear all about. (laughs) So um, Becky, before we leave, I want to thank you for joining me at uh, Intelligogy, the podcast and Teach Better Tuesday. And Gosh, you gave us such nuggets of wisdom and inspiration. So I just personally want to thank you for that. And uh, you know, I can't imagine teaching fifth grade in remote learning. So my hat off to you. And it sounds like you really worked with your students and had a lot of grace and patience and empathy, and they want to rise up and perform for you. So thank you for that. Well, well, thank you. Um, yeah, I, you know what? I think fifth grade is, is a little bit of the sweet spot, I will admit, because they're not too old to be too cool for school. Um, but yet they, you know, so they still, like I said, they still were engaged. And, and I, I feel like I benefit a lot because we had worked so much on technology prior to leaving unbeknownst to us that mm-hmm. I, I really feel like I got lucky in that they already knew their way around so much of the, of the programs and the platforms that we use. And, and I, you know, I'm, I'm glad that your son's teacher's were able to be so accommodating. I did toward the end get one or two parent emails myself that just said, listen, they're kind of, they're kind of done and I don't know what's going on, but emotionally. And I said, look, if you even want me to hop on a call with them just to say, hi, we don't, we don't even have to do any work. And, you know, I think that that's mm-hmm. like you said, grace was really the word of, of, of the pandemic with this is that, and you mm-hmm. have to bring it to yourself too, you know, and take the pressure off of yourself. Absolutely. Yes. Grace, grace upon grace upon grace. But I would, I would love to talk to you next time about, you know, some of the activities that I tried to make, you know, fun and engaging while still teaching. And, you know, it's definitely a juggling act, but uh, the kids seem to respond pretty well. So I'd love to come back on and talk to you about this. Well, yay. I'm excited and looking forward to it. Rebecca, thank you for joining me. And listeners, thank you for joining us. And we will see you next time at Intelligogy, the podcast, where together we are disrupting educational normalcy. Until next time. Thank you, Rebecca. Thank you.